podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Pro Plus on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, and I would normally be joined at this time by Mr. Grizz Tan, but he is off living the life of luxury in Kashmir. And uh, so what we've done is we've actually upgraded. We've brought in Evan Gregory from okay. Grizz Tan TV and from Born and Red, the new and growing podcast that has had some very notable guests of late. And uh, Evan, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm glad I'm a, a viable substitute for the globe-trotting GrizzCon. Yeah, well, I mean, look, he's gotten his comeuppance because he was sick, he got better, he went off on holiday, and he's gotten sick again. So he's not having the best of times, the poor lad. But uh, hopefully he's back on his feet and he's feeling better and uh, able to enjoy a bit of time away. So... um. Evan, you are obviously known to a lot of people for the work that you do with Grizz and with Born and Red. Um, you've often done really good breakdowns on players that Liverpool are linked to or that you would like to see Liverpool linked to. So I thought we'd start by talking about the January transfer window. And Liverpool signed one player. They signed Cody Gakpo. So give me your thoughts on Gakpo pre-Liverpool signing and what you've made of him since he's joined? Well, pre-joining Liverpool, Cody Gakpo is sort of this statistical output machine in, in the Eredivisie. And as you know, the Eredivisie for attacking signings that are taking a step up into Europe's top five leagues, it's a bit of a hit or miss. You know, for every Luis Suarez, there's a Vincent Janssen. You know, for every Ibrahimovic, there's a Josie Altidore. So it's it's a tough league to to buy from, but clearly Liverpool backed themselves to make smart purchases from this league. Um, going into it, you, you know, he plays a variety of positions um, uh, for PSV and then as we saw at the World Cup for, for Holland. I wasn't quite sure where he was most effective because just from doing some preliminary scouting on him uh, towards the tail end of the previous season, and when the when the rumors started to heat up that he was coming to Liverpool, you know, just by looking at you know his YouTube skill show and the numbers, it seems he's adept in multiple positions. Sort of the positions that he's creating from are spread out. He's not super hot in one position. You know, he's not someone who's glued to the left wing like Matoma at Brighton, for example. Uh, but he's a uh, he's just a, a versatile guy and a versatile force. So. I was eager to see how Holland deployed him. And then Holland, of course, at the World Cup played him centrally. So he, he became a bit of a, an enigma to me. Someone I sort of saw as a clean slate for any particularly interested club. Um, 
And, you know, with the, with the quotes by Pep Linders going back as far as I think, oh gosh, August or September, um, it became clear that he was someone that the club was looking at quite closely. And, um, the, the, the opportunistic move we sort of made for him was, uh, shades of Luis Diaz, uh, Luis Diaz from 12 months prior, of course, when Spurs had some very concrete interest and nearly had him tied down. And then we swooped in at the last minute. Sounds like a similar thing happened, uh, between us, Gakpo and, uh, Manchester United. So now that he is a Liverpool player, I, it's, it, it's an interesting thing because I, I feel like I, I still don't quite know his, his best position yet. I'm comfortable mm-hmm. to wait. Unlike plenty of other people, but um, whether Gakpo's long-term positional future at Liverpool is through the middle or through the left, I think depends upon uh, a, a multitude of factors. Uh, a few of which being the 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 fitness of his teammates and uh, his own personal development. But just sort of as a project, I think Cody Gakpo, for how highly he was rated and for the price we got him at 37 million spread across a number of seasons to help with PSV's financial issues. I think <laughs> ignoring all other context around the club at the moment, I think Cody Gakpo for that money is going to end up being a great signing. Yeah. I mean, for me, having kind of watched him for the last few years at PSV and, you know, both in domestic games and in Europe and then for the Netherlands, I, I never really warmed to him. Just, you know, watching him from afar, I never really warmed to him. And I always thought he reminded me of a of a less explosive, less talented Marcus Rashford. Now, I think Marcus Rashford is one of the better attacking players in England. So it wasn't necessarily a slight on Gakpo. It was just that was kind of what I was pigeonholing him as. And I, I look at Rashford the way you mentioned with Gakpo, where I'm not really sure what the ideal position for him is. With Rashford, I think it's probably in a front two playing with a more traditional nine where he can drop off and use space. And I think with Gakpo, much of the same is true. I think he needs to play with a nine and manipulate the space in behind. The more I watched him, the more I started to look at him a little bit differently. And I was talking to Moby Hawk one of the days on Twitter, and he's a big fan. Of Gakpo. So I thought Moby's got a really good eye. I, I, I'm going to give this a proper look. So I went on, on Y Scout and spent a prolonged period of time watching him on, on Y Scout. And a couple of things started to stand out to me. Number one is I, the way he strikes a ball from a technical point of view is elite level. Yeah. His shooting mechanism is exactly the same every single time. It's really consistent, it's really repeatable. And it's really fluid. Like for a guy who's so tall, he strikes the ball in stride brilliantly. A lot of times when you get those taller players, they have to almost readjust their steps to get the shot away. But Gakpo doesn't. Everything's very fluid. He does lack explosiveness and he does lack high-end speed, but he's not slow. Once he gets moving, he is a quick player. It just takes him maybe a couple of steps to get moving. But the more I've been watching him for us and watching how we're using him, I wonder if there's not a longer term post-Mo Salah planet play here. Now, that could be Gakpo in a front two just off Darwin. 
with Diaz on the left and somebody else on the right. That's a possibility. The other possibility is a 4-2-3-1, because if we take things back to when Jürgen was in charge of Dortmund, and we look at someone like a Shinji Kagawa, now a very different physical profile to Gakpo, but a lot of the same kind of attributes in terms of movement, clever positioning, good one-touch play, a, a very subtle player, not a player that overwhelms you with strength. I think Gakpo, despite being 6'4", plays quite, not small, but he doesn't play his frame. He doesn't play big. He's not comfortable back to goal. But when he gets facing the goal, you really start to see him come into his own and feel very comfortable. And the other player that he started to remind me of a little bit is Thomas Muller. And Thomas Muller oh, yeah. is a player that you'd watch and think, this guy doesn't have any physical attributes. Like, he's not quick. He's not powerful. But what he is is super intelligent. And the more I watch Gakpo, I think this might be a very intelligent footballer and maybe putting the subtlety of Gakpo behind the chaos of Darwin is what Klopp is looking for here. I, I think I would agree with that. And I, I've seen some people suggesting that Gakpo is not a Liverpool forward or a Liverpool player. But um, in reference to you know his, his toolkit as a player and the, the difference, how different he is to existing options at Liverpool, I'm totally fine with him being his own unique profile, you know, for a forward that we probably haven't had yet during the Klopp era. I, I, I reject this notion that we should, all of our forward options should be greater and lesser versions of each other. If, if that makes sense, you know, I saw some people saying we should have gone for a more pacey direct forward, like Luis Diaz. And I was just like, you want Luis Diaz's backup to be like a less talented version of him. I, I, I don't quite understand that. So I'm, I'm grateful that Gakpo has uh, a unique skill set, you know, a unique ability. And I, I totally hear what you're saying about the ball striking. A bit similar to Marcus Rashford in, yes. in that way. I always thought Marcus Rashford was an excellent striker of the ball. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with anything you said in terms of what he is, what he is capable of. I, what, what I, what I did like, you know, and there's a few things I liked about that last game against Brighton, but I did like that Gakpo looked very, very calm inside five mm. to 10 yards. Inside five to ten yards, just little layoffs, little passing. You can tell he's not a natural hold-up forward, so to speak, a natural target man, whatever you want to call it. But it did look neat. It did look very tidy, and it resembled something of a guy who's not, you know, six three, six four, and powerful, however tall he is. Um, it, it it was more kind of like a diminutive sort of playmaker. So if you can have that skill and be that big. And this is this is obviously a horrible comparison, but Peter Crouch was kind of great at that. You know, he's this massive lanky guy who had the skill of someone much much smaller. So, um not the best comparison there, but I I I can I can see where No, see I where get what you mean because Gak because Gakpo like Crouch despite his height always better on the floor than in the air. Now, mm-hmm. later in Crouch's career, as he got a little bit slower and the injuries kind of took hold, he did become more of an aerial threat. Like he always had the the height thing and he could always do things that others couldn't. But you'd see the ball crossed into Peter Crouch and it wasn't like he would attack it and power his forehead through the ball in the manner of, let's say, an Andy Carroll type. Mm-hmm. He was more about, he, he would redirect the power of the ball. So if the cross came in, floated, 
Crouch was going to be of no use. But if you flung that cross in at him, when Gerrard would fire a cross at him, Crouch was brilliant at manipulating that ball back with the power of staying on it. And I think that's the type of thing we're talking about here. Rather than generating his own force, it's that ability to to just supplement. And I, I think you're yeah. right. I, I hate this notion that all of our players have to be carbon copies of of, them, of each other. Like, yeah. we, we weren't going to find another Sadio. Now, there may be another Sadio out there. It could be someone like Kamaldine Suleimana. But for now, he's a 20-year-old, inconsistent talent who's not yet a great player and not yet on the verge of becoming a great player. Maybe in two years, Kamaldine Suleimana ends up at Liverpool. And maybe that's when we get our next Sadio. I keep seeing people say we need to find the next Mo. Well, find them then. Tell me who yeah, that player yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point point towards the next Mohamed Salah for that price that we got him for, and I'll and I'll bite your hand off. Exactly. I my, my least favorite of, of this notion is is uh the Firmino successor. Let me let me put this very plainly. There is no Firmino successor. No. When when Bobby Firmino moves on from Liverpool, whenever that is. You just move on tactically. And, and I think Klopp has fully acknowledged that he hasn't tried to buy into any of the other quote unquote false nines from around Europe's top five leagues. The, the Firmino profile is, is such a, it's such a unicorn. Yeah. It's, it, it's a unicorn. You, you don't try to find it again. If, if it stumbles into your path again, by all means, you know, get that player, but it's, it's so rare. And I, I don't think Gakpo is as rare as Firmino's profile. I don't think anybody is, but I, it is rare and it is interesting. And I do think there's more than enough to work with there going forward. See, I think so as well. And I think in time... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. You can work on the more physical side of the game. You can get him stronger. You can potentially add a little bit more aggression to his game, a little bit more force. But you want to retain what he has that attracted you to him in the first place. So like you said, he does he does resemble more of a diminutive player, which is why I use the Kagawa Comparison, and I think that might be Klopp is looking at him in a number ten position behind Darwin with Diaz on one side, and maybe it's Harvey Elliott, maybe it's somebody else on the right. Again, I'm I'm talking post Mo Salah because remember we have to be planning long term, especially with the way we have to operate financially. We have to be looking at you know what if Mo turns around in the summer and says, look, do you know what? I know I signed a contract a year ago. I know I've got a couple of years left, but I'd really like to go and try something else. Well, 
you're not going to replace Mo Salah inside forward 40 goals a season with 15 assists. It's not happening. No. What you might be able to do is find a right winger who can give you 15 goals and 15 assists. And when you combine that with Gakpo, who could give you maybe 15 and 15, all of a sudden you've made up the difference in the aggregate. Now, what you've done is you've lost a midfielder. You've gone from a two-man, a three-man midfield to a two-man midfield and a three-man attack to a four-man attack. But there's ways and means to find counterbalance to that. So I, I do think we need to be, first of all, with Gakpo, patience is needed because to come into a Liverpool team and perform straight away is quite rare. People seem to forget when Bobby arrived at Liverpool, he was awful for a couple of months. Now, I know he was played out of position by Rodgers, but even when Klopp took over, Bobby struggled a bit in, in the initial phase because, remember, Bobby arrived as a 10, not as a 9. Klopp made him a 9. Yeah. And it took a little bit of manipulating and work. Bobby didn't arrive as the player he was. Mane arrived and played right wing. It was when he moved to the left wing that Sadio really took off. Mo arrived having played as a right winger, a left winger, and a second striker. Klopp moved him into that right inside forward role and he took off. So what we, the trust we should put in Jürgen here is that he doesn't buy players for the positions that they play in. He buys them for the, the profile and the role he believes they can play in his squad. Another example is Ginny Wijnaldum. Yeah. He was a winger, a 10, and Klopp made him an, a defensive eight who was basically a second number six. Jürgen... If Jürgen has decided to sign Gakpo, now whether it's with influence from Linders, whether it's come from the analytics team, the scouting team, wherever it's come from, Jürgen won't be looking at him and thinking, right, well, he plays left-sided forward for PSV, so he's going to be a left-sided forward for us. He'll have looked at him, he'll have looked at the whole skill set, and he'll thought, right, well, where else can I use him? Where can I maximise the real strengths in his game? Because he's probably not quick enough to be one of our wingers, but in a central area, his skill set might go really well with the rawness of Darwin. And if you can have Darwin as that ball of energy, that unpredictable force, that chaos merchant in attack, and then Gakpo as more of that controlled thinking man's football playing in behind, that might work absolutely perfectly. Now, I say might because it might not. But the chances are that this fella who bought him knows what he's doing. And like I say, in in a post-Salah world, I do think we're looking at more of a 4-2-3-1 because when Klopp arrived, he wanted to play 4-2-3-1. It was the yeah. injuries to Sturridge that, that screwed it all. And then as things changed, it just made more sense to play 4-3-3. Four, 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 uh, four, three, three. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if Jürgen has looked at him because he has recently referred to him as a connector. And he's often called Bobby the connector, but he's not. He, I don't think he's talking about replacing him like for like, because like you said, Bobby's profile is so rare. He's looking at using certain aspects of his skill set that Bobby also has and then maximizing the other aspects of his skill set in a different type of way. Yeah, I and I, I think if if you go for Gakpo, if you, if you go for somebody who is different than all of your other pre-existing forward options, 
and you, you place all that confidence in him, then it certainly speaks to a, a formational change. I mean, that's sort of how you keep all of these, all of these players happy because you have to think Diaz, Jota, Darwin, Salah, Gakpo, um, for me, no, they all back themselves to start for Liverpool Football Club. So it, it, I, I think if you're, if you're trying to minimize the extent and stress of your midfield rebuild and trying to keep your forward line happy and at the very least just sort of evolve and change, because I think that is needed now at Liverpool in more ways than one, then I, then I think going to the 4-2-3-1 might not be the worst option or the, the worst way to get the most out of Cody Gakpo, because if, if he's been, referred to as the connector or the missing link by the coaching staff, you'd imagine that's almost sort of he'll be in this sort of like second striker number 10 role in behind yeah. Darwin. Um and that would that wouldn't be replacing Firmino because that's not the position Firmino played for Liverpool. Despite being a natural 10, he very rarely ever played in the 10 for Liverpool. Um I, I like the idea of Gakpo sort of using his skill and bringing others into the play and sort of attacking the box late and shooting from distance. Um, cause I, you know, you have to, you have to let Nunez have his space. You know, Nunez needs a space to run into. He doesn't need to be colliding with his own players. So the four, two, three, one, I think now, whereas in the past, I've been a little dismissive of it. I didn't, I, n- I didn't really think we had the squad for it. I never thought we looked good playing it. Now, since <laughs> seeing as Liverpool could be, you know, a clean slate almost on and off the pitch in, in a few months time, I think it would make sense to try something different. So I absolutely see the wisdom in playing Gakpo sort of in and behind an out and out striker like Darwin. And if we look at Mo this season as well, he is playing more as a right winger. So maybe even that four two three one works with Mo and Mo just becomes more of a creative force and less mm. of a goal scoring threat. And if you were to look at, say, in a 4-2-3-1, if you've got Mo and Harvey as your right side options, Gakpo and Carvalho as your 10 options, Diaz and Ben Doak long-term, but I would like a short-term fill-in there. Somebody different, maybe someone like a Thomas Lamar who's at a contract this year mm-hmm. on the left. And then Darwin and Jota as your nine options. And if Bobby stays, he can be an option as a nine or a 10 Curtis Jones can also fill in as a 10 or left wing if you need him to. You start to to maximise more of what your squad has. And some of those more oddly fitting pieces, like Harvey, like Carvalho, like Gakpo at the moment, will start to come into their own a bit more. We also need to remember, like right now, is no time to judge any new signing because this team is a mess. Yeah, yeah. Complete, completely dysfunctional. And it's, it's something I alluded to on Twitter. I think obviously the, the social media era does not promote or reward any form of patience, especially, especially not with players, you know, signing for your favorite team. But I think a lot of people are having difficulty accepting that. I mean, shit, you might have to wait seven full months to see the best of Cody Gakpo or to see what the vision is at, yeah. at the very least. And, you know, and I say seven months because. It could, it could be, you know, another three to four months of league fixtures plus a full transfer window that we're expecting to be, you know, a drastic change for Liverpool to look like just a functional team again. You know, a functional team with recognizable patterns of play and consistency in formation, consistency in selection as well. You know, uh, I think about the, the players Gakpo has had to work with. He hasn't, he hasn't worked with the other 70% 
of the of the forward options that we have. I mean, he's only played with like two or three players. Um, we need to see how he gels with Jota. We need to see how he gels with Diaz. We need to see how he gels with Darwin when Darwin's playing centrally. We need to we just we it's so many things need to happen first before we can even start to point the finger at Gakpo and question the motive of the signing or question the vision of the signing. And obviously, you know, asking for patience, you know, needle in a haystack type oh, yeah. type vibe there. But um I'm I'm very I'm very patient with Cody Gakpo. When when he signs my my impression, I was like, okay, this is a signing with an eye on uh with an eye on next season. This is a signing with an eye on potentially contracts expiring. Uh, you know, it's an eye on a formation change and things like that. So I have more than enough time to uh for Cody Gakpo. Yeah, because I mean people obviously said, you know, last season we signed Diaz and we went in that great run. But last season we were, I think, eight points off the top. This season, when we signed Gakpo, we're 10 points off fourth. It's a very different situation. Yeah. This season, all of our forwards have have struggled or missed large chunks with injuries. Last season, Mo was running at what proved to be an unsustainably hot level. Um, so I do think people just need to temper their expectations of, of immediate gratification. Like you said, there's... There's no patience to be found in the in the modern world of social media. And it's kind of understandable because, you know, everything we want is just a click away. You want mm-hmm. to buy whatever, you go on Amazon, two clicks, and it's on its way. You want to get food, you go on Just Eat or Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever, a couple of clicks, and it's on its way. And people think that everything should work the same way, but football doesn't work that way. You know, like I've seen... I've seen people say, oh, well, why didn't we sign Enzo Fernandez in the summer? Well, the reason we didn't sign him is because you hadn't heard of him. And if we had signed him, you'd have had a tantrum. Now, for <laughs> for the select few who were aware of him, you could tell Enzo would have been a good signing as like you bring him in, he's the backup to Thiago, and you develop him that way. But you wouldn't have gotten the instant gratification that you get from him going to Portugal, which is a lesser league, still a strong league, but a lesser league than the Premier League, playing every week, going to the World Cup, being a star, going to Chelsea for £107 million. It would have been a different path for Enzo to get to the same point. It might have taken three years rather than six months. The same yeah. thing with Moises Caicedo. Now, again, Caicedo wasn't a player I had I had watched, but I was aware of because everybody had spoken about him. All the people that you would trust to follow who keep an eye on players in obscure leagues. We're all talking about this kid. He was linked to United. He was linked to us. He goes to Brighton. Remember, Brighton sent him on loan first. They didn't just throw him straight in. They sent him out on loan. He did fairly well. They brought him back, and they brought him into the team slowly, knowing that Basuma would leave. They could bring him along slowly. Now he's a 70 million footballer. I think he was destined to be a 70, 80 million pound footballer regardless, but if he joined us, he might not have become that footballer for a couple of years and people would have been saying, well, why did we buy this guy? Like, why did we waste five million? Like, look, look at Calvin Ramsey as a prime example. Calvin Ramsey's had injury problems since he joined. So the rhetoric now is, well, why did we waste five million on him? Because we didn't buy him for six months. We bought him for the next six, seven, eight years. Yeah, exactly. And it would be the same thing with, with Caicedo or with Enzo. 
And the last thing you need with a young player, especially one coming from directly from South America, is you don't need them in their spare time going on social media and seeing a bunch of people saying that they're shit and that we shouldn't assign them. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, so pe- people want that instant gratification. And, and yes, there's ways and means to get it. And yes, certain players will hit the ground running, but Gapo isn't one of them that's going to hit the ground running and immediately be brilliant. He could be brilliant in two months. But again, like you said, it could be next season. It could be halfway through next season before he really finds his groove. Exactly, exactly. Because we could, you know, forward options could come back and sort of usurp his minutes. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, there's a there's a case. There's, I mean, there's a very strong case to be made that both Diaz and Jota are better players than him right now. They, they have more mm-hmm. experience at the highest level. They've been playing for Liverpool longer. You know, they they have more numbers attributed to their game for in a, in a Liverpool shirt. So there, there's all these, all these factors. And, you know, like not, not only is it a lack of patience thing, but I think it's what you alluded to a bit there. I think some people are just angry that Cody Gakpo is not Moises Caicedo. And, and of course, you know, I absolutely would have signed a midfielder instead of a forward this January. I think, I think most of us would have. Um, but I, I'm not going to hold, I'm not going to hold it against the poor kid. You, you know what I mean? And, you know, we, the, these players do see what is said about them. I, I think mm. we, we, we might forget that sometimes as much as they say, Oh, I, I don't have social media. I don't go on social media. I don't hear about it. I think they do. Um, so I, you know, we just, we just got to allow the kid room to breathe. I, I don't think he's the type of signing that's going to be a, a catalyst for a, for a 10 game winning streak. You know what I mean? In the future, he absolutely could be, you know, in, in a functional Liverpool team that can, create chances consistently uh for each other i i do see the vision and you know that first half against brighton was the first time that each member had created a chance for another member of the front three in god knows how long i I could not remember the last time i saw it so i saw the vision with Gakpo. i'm willing to give him patience and i hope our fan base is smart enough to realize this is a signing with an eye on of course, the next five to six years, but someone you would expect to kick into top gear at the soonest in, in, in a, in a month or two's time. But, you know, we have to be prepared to wait. You know, so many other things have to fall in place for Liverpool, both on and off the pitch before we can start, uh, giving out definitive judgment on players younger than 24. Now, that's the thing. He, he's 23 years of age. We signed him on a five and a half year contract. So at the end of this season, he will have a full five years ahead of him. That's a lot of road for mm-hmm. him to to get himself down. And, and there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of ways that this can work out. Like, this is not just, oh, he doesn't fit in the system, so he has he's not good enough. Like, firstly, we haven't really seen him in the system because the system has not existed this year. <laughs> we have not been the same Liverpool team for most of this season, the the best format, the best games we've had this year have been in a different shape. Often four four two against City, against Napoli, we played a four four two, and again in a four four two with him just off Darwin, or him just off Jota, that's something that I'd be very interested to see. And, and if we went into next season playing some sort of four four two with a front four rotating of of Diaz oh sorry of of Darwin Jota Mo and Gakpo that's as good as anybody in the league has as a front four for two spots 
So yeah. I wouldn't be too too overly concerned. If all he is, if all he turns out to be is a better version of Divock and Taki, I'm, I'm not sure it'll be a failure because if he comes up with big goals the way Divock did, we'll all view him as a success. So let's let's temper the expectations and temper the cry arsing. It's far too early. He's yet to play in a Liverpool team that's played well. So let's give him a chance. You know, he's only had a functional midfield behind him for a couple of games. And in two of them, with respect, he had Harvey Elliott left wing, who isn't a left winger. No. Harvey no. doesn't have and, and doesn't have the pace, doesn't have the attributes to play that role. If it was Darwin, if it was Diaz, I think it'll be a different a different case. But when he finally got Darwin on his left, the midfield had fallen apart because Klopp made a change there, took Naby off and brought Henderson on. The midfield is where I want to go next. You said you'd assigned the midfielder in January. I 100% agree. For me, it was the priority as it was in the summer, as it was the previous January, as it was the previous summer. Liverpool have allowed their midfield to get old, to get slow, and at this point to get quite decrepit. We have a plethora of midfielders at the club. There are question marks over all of them, from talent to injury, um, robustness, if we want to call it that. Mm -hmm. There's no one midfielder at the club that you'd look at and think, don't have to worry about him. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. He is rock solid. Not one midfielder at the club that you could look at and say he's rock solid because the only one who's played well this season is Thiago and he has injury issues. Mm-hmm. Naby missed half the season with an injury. Ox missed half the season and Klopp doesn't seem to trust him. Naby and Ox are both leaving in the summer. Curtis missed a big chunk of the season. He's also had injuries. We don't know yet how good he is. He, he hasn't shown he's good enough as of yet. Henderson and Fabinho both look washed. It, I know it sounds harsh, but I mean, it's it's three years since Henderson put together a good run of form. And Fab was really, really struggling at the end of last season as well. And then you've got Milner, who's 37 and out of contract soon. Harvey, who isn't a midfielder. And Klopp likes to mention Carvalho. He's not a midfielder either. The only one you'd look at and say, for the future, yet we want him to be part of it for definite, is Besetic, who's an 18-year-old kid. So the midfield absolutely needs to be addressed. Now, recently on Twitter, you spoke about um, sort of a midfield rebuild. So... Let's start there. If you were rebuilding this Liverpool midfield, what type of midfield are you rebuilding? Would you would you be looking to rebuild a three or would you be looking to build a double pivot? 
Well, the 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 reason you're the the hypothetical switch to a four two three one that you brought up earlier is so tempting, is because I I think that saves you from having to buy four midfielders in the, in the summer and the 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 Klopp dying on the hill of the four three three is not a good sign because in in a in a midfield three you could argue you need three different archetypes. You need, especially for a team trying to be as dynamic and versatile as Liverpool, you need, you need a, a six that is not, you know, a, a liability on the ball, but who can win duels defensively. You need eights that have both defensive qualities and offensive qualities and physical attributes. So to, to build, I think a world class midfield three, I think it's really difficult. You, you need a, you need, a really insanely in tune harmony of players. You need a, a variety of archetypes and profiles. So I, I can see that the temptation, I can totally see the logic, actually not the temptation. I can see the logic of going to a four, two, three, one, because where Liverpool have all of the exciting young depth, young depth is in their forward line. So, you know, why not, you know, let them cook as the kids would say, but um I'm trying to in, in my in my midfield rebuild that that I posted on Twitter. It was me assuming that Klopp is not going to stop being a pragmatist over the summer and he's going to stick with a four three three. So the the mid, the rebuild I proposed was a combination of me trying to be realistic. So I included um, targets that have been the most hotly linked, or some people consider it uh, just a, a matter of when or and as opposed to if. And it was some. Um, internal solutions as well because i have to imagine that you know regardless of how many midfielders we need we will need to find an internal solution or two um so what i proposed and let me just get the internal solutions out of the way uh stefan bacetic has absolutely proven to so many people that he's more than just sort of this random academy body flirting with the fringes of the first team. And we've had so many of those over the years where they're like, oh, you know, you, you know, we see a bit too. I mean, he kind of looks like a Liverpool player, whether that's technically or physically, and then they just never quite make it. This guy seems to have the the physical attributes, even at 18. Um, he seems to have plenty of the technical attributes. And what I'm most impressed about with Stefan Bacetic is the the mental side of the game, just the awareness, the press resistance, the things you can't teach a footballer how to do. I think Stefan Bacetic has that. And the things that you can teach a footballer to do, I think we can do that for him at Liverpool. So him growing into the ascendancy is, I think, great. And, you know, so much of, you know, his future hinges on Fabinho and w- whether or not mm. Fabinho has a long-term future at Liverpool. I'm sure we'll talk about that eventually. Um no, the the next profile that I proposed um is an external solution. It was Ma- Mateus Nunes, Nunes, however you want to pronounce it. Um, I'm gonna stick with Nunes because I, I like to think of myself as uh, global and cultured, worldly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's you know the 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 Nunes profile is is very much it's it's in fashion. It's it's popular right now. So sort of this uh, a progressive midfielder who's comfortable deep. He likes to bring the ball out of defense. Uh, I think. Maybe this won't end up being the greatest comparison, but it's shades of Frankie de Jong for me, uh, Mateus uh, Nunes. The, the way he sort of come, he comes deep to get the ball as a six, but he backs himself to get inside an opponent's, uh, you know, just get inside their half all on his own. 
just sort of through a combination of his own elusiveness and skill and game intelligence. He's got a wonderful glide to him. He seems to really just take pleasure and just going past people rather effortlessly. And, you know, he did it to us, you know, in his little uh, cameo a few weeks ago, made uh, Henderson Fabinho look absolutely silly. Um, so this is a guy who I think if you had asked me in summer 2022, who was my ideal midfield signing, he was it. I thought he looked fantastic. He's a player that Pep Guardiola called at, I think this time last year, one of the best midfielders in the game. Um, so for the price that's being quoted, and it seems that Liverpool have uh, organized some sort of unofficial <laughs> loan with an option to buy with with Wolves. You know, I mean, Wolves are forever doing funny little deals like that. It's, but it's it seems- the George Mendes um, factor here, I think, coming into play. Yeah, George Mendes Football Club has uh, graciously allowed us a free run, apparently, this summer. So that... Uh, for me, I, I'm, I was eager to include him in my midfield rebuild because mm. he's someone I would ask for personally. And he's also someone that is being linked sort of concretely. So a good, a good mix of my own desires and realism. Uh, I'll save the big one for last. Uh, the next one I want to do. Oh, I realized I didn't get the other internal solution out of the way. For, this is, you know, controversial. And I know you, you exist on the opposite side of the aisle for this one. I think in a in a functional Liverpool team uh that's stable and consistent I think Harvey Elliott can be a viable midfield option uh on the right side of midfield in that triangle with Trent and Salah I've seen it sort of last year pre uh, pre injury he had I think a, a good handful of solid performances on on the right-hand side of central midfield um that being said we were a much better team last season you could you could argue that that first four to five months of last season was the peak of sort of Liverpool's attacking play in the Klopp era. The amount of chances being generated, Mohamed Salah feasting, uh, everybody everybody looks like they could score a ton of goals. So I think if Liverpool can return to um, a situation where they're capable of carrying players that might sort of be square pegs, round holes, then I think Harvey Elliott can be a viable option. And I guess my logic is, for the last, I would say, two seasons, we've carried Jordan Henderson in midfield, and yeah. he didn't always look like a liability, despite being, I think it's fair to say, the least skilled member of, of a midfield three at any given time. Harvey Elliott has a plethora of skill and talent and, you know, uh, guile, you know, creativity. You're really only carrying his lack of physicality, whereas I would argue that with Henderson, we carried more. We carried more than a few things to accommodate the intangible effects of Jordan Henderson's game and what, what he can do as a, as a leader. So I guess my, my logic is if you can carry Henderson's deficiency, I think you can carry Harvey Elliott's as well. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll come on to that, uh, after I, after I give out these last two names, but my, my next name is, uh, someone with an eye on what I consider to be Liverpool's biggest issue currently in the midfield. And it's the ability to win midfield duels. Our, our ability to effectively intercept, to effectively win 50-50s, to effectively press, it's absolutely fallen off a cliff in the midfield. And I think in, this is no slight to his game, but it's a disgrace that Thiago is the best midfield duelist at Liverpool currently. Yeah, we, we've I, turned him into David Batty. <laughs> we, we basically bought yeah. Xavi and we turned him into David Batty because Jordan Henderson refuses to tackle people 
and Fabinho just doesn't have it in him anymore. To, he, he's always a half second late. Yeah, and Thiago's and, left having to do all that kind of dog work by himself. And it's it's not you like. Don't get me wrong. If Thiago is he's apparently an elite midfield duelist because he's in the upper echelon for all these sort of midfield dueling statistics, but. Um, it's not what I want my injury prone 32 year old regista type player to be doing. You know what I mean? I, ideally that's somebody else's job and Tiago just sort of, you know, focuses on prancing around the park and spraying it 50 yards to either side. That's kind of just what I want him to do. Uh, I don't want him, I don't want Tiago to have to feel that he has to stop the counter attack. He has to bring the player down and take the yellow card. He's the one that has to stick his, you know, admittedly fragile leg in amongst other legs to win the ball back. So, you know, by all means, more power to Tiago if he can do it, but that's not what I want him doing. And so this next player is someone who I think if Liverpool want to return to a midfield that is win- forever winning midfield duels, forever pressing uh successfully and, you know, stopping any sort of flow of the opposition's counterattack, it's Manuel Ugarte from Sporting mm. in Portugal. Now, he, I wouldn't call him a unicorn profile, but it is certainly very, very unique. So he sort of plays in this holding midfield role for sporting, but he's a front footed presser. And what I mean by that is that he wins the ball back in, in his own attacking third and midfield third, just as often as he wins the ball back when inside his own half. So, you know, it's, he's an elite ball winner and it's what separates him from someone like Wilfred and Didi, for example, a guy who boasts some insane tackling and interception numbers. But when you look at where these tackles and interceptions are happening, they're happening in his own half in a compact system. Most of the time, Manuel Ugarte is winning 50 fifties and winning duels and winning interceptions in really key areas. He's do, he's stopping counterattacks. He's winning those tackles that immediately set his team on the front foot again. He's winning tackles and interceptions that continue the siege of the opposition's box, if that makes sense. So it's it's where he's winning it, and it's how he's winning it that makes him really, really interesting. And then his other biggest complementary number is the dribbles that he completes. And this is where he sort of reminds me of Wijnaldum in a way, a guy who was forever winning the ball back for Liverpool, forever stopping counterattacks, forever just offering that that grit and that solidity in the middle of the park. But at the same time, Genie Wijnaldum, it, you couldn't take the ball off of him. I know the big critique of his game is what he did after it. You know, he wasn't the guy who was going to hit the killer pass. But Genie Wijnaldum was excellent at retaining the ball, excellent at sort of just burrowing his way out of tight areas. And Ugarte has a ton of that to his game as well. And he's excellent at winning fouls. So... Ugarte is, I think, the signing that, you know, the type of signing I would have made in January because I think he's an instant bandage, an instant tourniquet over Liverpool who are sort of bleeding out right now, so to speak. Um, but I do think he's still a signing that would be absolutely transformative in the summer. And I encourage us, I absolutely encourage us to get this done sooner rather than later because um, these Portuguese clubs, they're very quick to renew contracts a year after signing. They're very quick to throw a hundred million pound release clauses on um, as soon as a player is performing anywhere above average. So I think clock's ticking on the window to get Manuel Ugarte. And then last but not least, this is a nod to both what 
what I want. Um, and also just a nod to, you know, the, the realistic aspect of it, though that's always up for debate. It's Jude Bellingham and it's the, the unicorn profile. Uh, he's an overachiever in every category. I, <laughs> it's so funny because as badly as I want Jude Bellingham, uh, I, th- I think I might speak for you here, Dave. I'm sick of hearing his name. I'm sick of yeah. seeing his face <laughs> all, all up and down Twitter. It's th- this is a concern I, I voiced um, just a, I think yesterday or the day before that we've been chasing him for so long and we've let our midfield deteriorate so much that our fan base has sort of placed this savior complex around him. Yes. And it, it, it it's worth noting that although Jude Bellingham is ready right now, He's ready to take a step up right now. He's a Champions League level midfielder right now. Still 19. And he's still going to be still technically a project if, if Liverpool justifies spending that amount of money on him. And what makes him problematic, and I've seen you allude to this multiple times, Dave, is that for a team that needs four, arguably five midfielders in the summer of a certain quality, will we have come summertime? The, the the necessary capital to splurge a hundred plus million on Jude Bellingham and then still have a hundred and fifty million left over to get to get Mateus Nunes to get someone like Manuel Ugarte and maybe even another body. So as good as Jude Bellingham is and as as transformative and as generational as you could describe him, for Liverpool's current situation without any clarity over future ownership or what sort of transfer budget we can expect every summer it makes it uns- more unsettling than it fills you with confidence is that fair yeah i mean i i keep seeing people say oh we have to get bellingham now and if we don't get him it's going to be very embarrassing and the way i look at it is i i think i'd actually given given the vast number of midfielders that we need like you said four potentially five if you have to sell Fabinho, or mm. if you decide that you're going to sell Joel Matip and move Fabinho to centre-back on a permanent basis. I don't think Bellingham makes financial sense for a club with our type of budget. Now, obviously, look, he's a phenomenally gifted player and he may be a generational talent, but the the fact of it is that you could buy three really, really good midfielders for the cost of Jude Bellingham and be better in the aggregate. So, for example, let's say Jude costs 120 million and let's say Nunez costs 44. That's 164 million pounds committed on two players. Liverpool need four. They need two right now. Kate, Kate is going. Ox is going. Milner's going. Henderson is finished. And Fabinho looks like he's gone that way as well. So is there enough money there to get two more? I would have serious doubts that there is. So for me, I would be looking at that 120 million for Jude and thinking, right, what can I do instead here? Can I get Manuel Ugarte? 35 to 40 million probably gets that deal done. That gives me a starting caliber six who can step in day one and play a significant role. Can I get two more in that kind of budget area? Can I go for a Manu Kone from Borussia Mönchengladbach, a dynamic ball-winning box-to-box player who wouldn't have looked out of, out of 
place in our midfield a couple of years ago. And then could I buy a Yunus Musa? So if yeah. I have a starting three of Kone on the right, Ugart in the middle, and Thiago and Nunes sort of splitting the left-sided role, because I think you want to ideally play Thiago about half the games a season, do the same with Nunes. Then behind Ugart, you've got Fabinho potentially or Besetic. And then on the right, if I've got Kone, Musa is the ideal sort of alternative to him and they can split those games. So I could do that. And I think functionally that's a stronger midfield than Jude, Nunes and a hole at the number six position. The other way to go about it is you could go and buy Moises Caicedo for 75 million from Brighton. And you could try and get, you know, a Mason Mount type and only buy three, and maybe Tyler Morton and Curtis Jones have a bigger role to play. You could look at someone like Romeo Lavia if Southampton go down. I, I think he is an outrageously good footballer. Oh, for, I, think the, I think the ceiling is so high with that kid. I, for I, for, I really for me, so. somebody asked me, I did two-footed today, and somebody asked me, what do I think we could spend? Like, what What's the max we could spend this summer as a net spend? And Having spoken to Mo Chatra a few times, I reckon we could probably spend about 200 million. We could stretch to 200 million this summer because remember, you're not paying 200 million out. You're paying out maybe 80 million this summer and the rest will be in installments across the years. And for me, I thought Lavia and Caicedo. If I get those two and I can put them sitting in front of my defence, like Fabinho and Ginny used to do. And then I'm looking at probably about 115 million between the two of them. Then I can get a Kone, a a Nunes, play them on the right and have them be more box to box or, or again, change the shape if that's what's necessary. But I just, I don't necessarily know that Jude is the best use of, of what we have to spend. And, like there's Lavia, Caicedo, if that's 115 million, I think that's a better use of that money than just Jude. And I think they improve us more because they give us a real platform to play off. I think you get more out of Trent, you get more out of Robbo, you get more out of the front four. Whereas with Jude, as as fantastic a player as he is, he is, while an active defender, he is a poor defender. He has really poor sense of position. He does not track runners well. His concentration. Now, none of these things are abnormal for a 19-year-old. This this is a kid we're talking about. So it's natural for him to have those issues. But I would rather us strengthen the defensive side. And even we could play Thiago on the right-hand side of midfield where he played in that run at the end of the 2021 season where it was him on the right, Fabinho and Ginny Wijnaldum. And if I've got Thiago and let's say... I've got Harvey as the alternative because I think Harvey, I think Harvey can work with two holding midfielders behind him. I don't think it can work with one and Thiago. I think it has to be two more defensive players. So if you tell me that I've got Thiago and Harvey, they're the right-sided options. They're the playmakers. They're going to combine with Trent and Mo down that side. And then I've got Lavia and Caicedo to sit and hold and be 
defensively aware, and then I've got Besetic, and let's say I can afford to bring in one more because I, I haven't gone for Nunes. Let's say I go for a for a Kone or an Ugart who, who could also play as that defensive eight if needed, and that would free him to be a bit more aggressive in going and winning the ball back. I'd rather do that. And I get the idea that Chelsea have made a splash. They've, they've gone and got Enzo and United make splashes. They, they go and they get Anthony and Sancho and Pogba and Dimmer and whoever else that hasn't worked out there. And City makes splashy signings. I don't necessarily care about making splashy signings. I, I'd rather make smart signings because how this team was built, how we became great was by making smart signings, not splashy signings. No, definitely not. I mean, it's it was our infamous sweet spot, right? Thirty to forty million, mm. um, and it's 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 never been about, like you said, the Galacticos. For me, if anything, I would attribute the the trophies that Liverpool have left on the table, uh, unfortunately, to a lack of maybe one to two thirty to forty million pound yeah, moves. Yeah, hundred percent. It's never it's never been about Mbappe. For me, it's never been about Holland. It's never, it's never been about these guys. It's been about doing a few more Kanates, a few yeah. more Jotas. Cause I, to the end of the earth, I back Jurgen Klopp to turn a 30 million pound player into a 90 million pound player almost overnight. Um, with, with the exceptions of some obvious candidates, I can't think of a player he has made worse at Liverpool. Um, certainly not a player with any room to grow. Um, no. so, and I, I see your, your logic around spreading around the Jude money and so much depends upon the, the big if of who, who's currently custodian of Liverpool come, uh, come the summertime. Um, but I, I see the logic in going for Jude. I see the logic in spreading the money out. You know, <laughs> you know, if, if, if this is football manager, then I'm spreading the money out, you know, you know, in a heartbeat, absolutely in a heartbeat. But, you know, I think the the one thing you also have to say about Jude is you perhaps have an eye on the homegrown quota. Is that is that correct? Would he satisfy an option or is See, he spent the, too the much time is, in Germany? He, he doesn't. Well, he, he will eventually, but he doesn't next season or the season after because he's not old enough. Interesting. But Curtis Jones becomes a homegrown player next year. Sepp Vandenberg becomes a homegrown player next year. Um. Reese Williams, if you wanted to keep him around like a Nat Phillips for a year, becomes a homegrown player. So there's this idea that we're, we're up against it. We're, we're actually not. And like, say a player like Lavia, Lavia will count as a homegrown player when he comes of age because he was at Manchester City for the two years and now he's at Southampton and he's still only 19. So by the time he turns 21, he'll actually have had five years in English clubs. So he will count as a homegrown player. So I don't worry about the homegrown quota because I think there's always ways you can cheat it a little bit. Like, for yeah. example, let's say Queeveen Kelleher leaves. But people have said, oh, you know, if, if let's say Kelleher and Adrian leaves, right? So there's a homegrown spot and a non-homegrown spot that open up. Well, what I would look at is I'd look at someone like Ron Robert Zeller as the mm. third choice keeper, because he counts as a homegrown player, because he was in England for three years before he turned 21. So he would fill the non, he would fill the homegrown spot. And then I'd look at one of our young keepers, like Marcelo Pitaluga, who is by all accounts a phenom. And I would say to him, you're our second choice now. 
you're our cup goalkeeper now. And he doesn't count as either. So you're now freeing up a non-homegrown spot that you can use elsewhere. And also Nabi frees up one. So does uh, Bobby Firmino. If Joel Matip was to leave, he would free one up. If Costas was sold, you could free one up there and you could buy a, a young homegrown left back if you can find the right one. For us, mm-hmm. it could be it could be so so simple as Jamal Lewis is available very cheap from Newcastle. Now I know he's in a tough time there, but there's a reason we really wanted him a couple of years ago, and we could yeah. go and get him, and he fills in a homegrown spot. So I, I think we can manipulate the squad. I, I don't think we do a particularly good job at managing the squad, but like you, I back Klopp to turn a 30 to 40 million pound player into a 70 million pound player. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. question is, do I back him to spot the 30 to 40 million pound player? And I don't know yeah. that I do because he's never done it before. He's never been asked to do it. We no, had, no. we had Edwards and Gordon at Dortmund, uh, Edwards, Gordon and Ian Graham. They did all that type of stuff. And he just signed off at Dortmund. He had Michael Zork. Sven Mislintat and a very, very highly regarded recruitment team. So if I if I could be certain that the recruitment was in place, I would much prefer to go the route of, of getting three or four midfielders of the 34, 30 to 40 million range than just a Jude. And my biggest concern, I suppose, is we're so focused on Jude that we've allowed last summer and January to pass us by. What happens if we get to next summer and Jude doesn't move till the middle of July and all of a sudden we've missed out on the other possibilities? Caicedo's gone, Kone's gone, Ugarte's gone, or signed a new deal with, a like you said, a 100 million buyout. Then it's Jude and probably nobody else. And then what if Jude goes elsewhere? Do we then turn around and go, well, none of the targets we want are available? Do you know, like, I mean, Real Madrid and Man City are now going to be fully keyed in on Jude because Enzo's off the market. Yeah. So a lot of people thought, come summer, Jude is the top prize and whoever doesn't get him will go for Enzo. Different type of midfielder, but will have a similar impact. Now Enzo's gone. So it's Jude or bust. Or yeah. you pivot and you go a different direction. The It's a valid point to bring up how long does Jude wait to make a decision? Has he made a decision yet? Will he end up staying another year at Dortmund? Because at 19, that would hardly be career suicide. Um, it's... It's 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 a it's a huge source of anxiety, and for me, it's it's the the bigger one than the question of who owns the club and how much money are they going to give us for the summer. the 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 big one is how do Klopp and company react to something falling through? How do they react to having to wait to get confirmation on something like Jude? How do they react to tar- targets who perhaps exist in a tier below Jude? Uh, you know, seeking pastures anew, like how, how proactive are they? And it's, it's the biggest anxiety I currently have, uh, in this sort of, uh, free fall that the club currently finds itself in is the lack of functionality off the pitch. You know, for God, for four years, it was just 
athletic article after athletic article waxing lyrical about how effective and well-run Liverpool were off the pitch. You know, Michael Edwards and the, the, the data team working seamlessly with Klopp and the coaches. And then you have, you know, all, you know, just everything was so healthy and it was just a well-oiled machine. And it, you know, I slept better as a result of it. But now that that's sort of gone all out the window, you know, Edwards has left, you know, Julian Ward sort of just dropping a bombshell and announcing he's not even going to complete a year plus at Liverpool. It's left me feeling extremely anxious over the recruitment mechanism because I used to think there was this wonderful checks and balances system, you know, infamously, no, Jurgen, we're doing Salah, not Julian Brandt, and him saying, okay, I trust you. And that, obviously, that approach has, you know, paid off immensely. Um, and now I'm not, I'm not so sure it exists. You know, you have Paul Joyce coming out in recent months saying Klopp and Pep Lunders essentially are the biggest voices in the room when it comes to uh, recruitment. And obviously you have the two sporting directors leaving in the space of 24 months. You have, uh, you, you know, figures like Ian Graham stepping down. Um, and then you have the, the elephant in the room of what type of mechanism will new ownership put in place? Will they, you know, will, will they bring in their own sporting director? Will they insist things have to be a certain way or rather will they just sort of be reinforcement of the current status quo, mm. which is obviously, I don't think what anybody wants. Um, the, these are all valid concerns and unfortunately they're all linked. And I, and I think that's really frustrating for a lot of people, including myself, you know, in order to get clarity on one issue, we're waiting to have this question answered and this question is related to that question. So it becomes this sort of never ending labyrinth of, you know, lack of clarity, so to speak. But I absolutely would be worried, like you said, that targets like Manuel Ugarte, um, Lavia, Caicedo, especially, could end up in, in places other than Liverpool, just because we're waiting to see what Jude Bellingham wants to do. Um, we're waiting to see if Dortmund drop their price. You know, it's, it's, it's a lack of information and it might just be our own lack of information, me and you spe- uh, speaking here, or it could be a lack of information that the, the, the club is suffering from as well. I, I would, I would hate, I would hate for Jurgen to not have any assurances over Jude Bellingham joining Liverpool this summer. And I'm sort of just trusting, I, I'm sort of just trusting that there is some sort of verbal handshake in place between Bellingham's camp and ours. Um, and that is why we feel so comfortable to wait. Because I certainly, like I said, with a lack of information, I certainly do not share the, this confidence that he um, would would choose us unequivocally over a club like City or Madrid, who are, mm. as of right now, much better on and off the pitch. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a starved market, too. Uh, I want to point out, I think, like you said, Enzo has left. Um, Caicedo will almost certainly be off the market um, come summertime. Um, Madrid have hoarded the other 50 to 60% of top, top 10 young midfielders under the age of 23 at their club already. So, and you, you look at targets that moved last summer, you know, uh, Vitinha went, went to PSG as, as well. So it's, I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, 
I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. While, while I share what Moby said to me recently in that new, new starlets are always coming out of Europe and in five months time, there will be a new Enzo Fernandez and a new Ugarte and a new Mateus Nunes. Absolutely. That's true. Liverpool have to find this really sort of nigh on perfect balance between age and are they ready now? And that obviously narrows the scope of it significantly yeah. because you need players who are you know, ideally younger than 26, maybe even younger than 24. And they need to be this combination of ready now and they need to have a high ceiling. So we've not only have we set ourselves out a monumental task in terms of outlay of capital for the summer, we have narrowed our options significantly because I, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but if Liverpool's midfield was in great shape and we only needed one, maybe two bodies, we absolutely could justify 120. Oh, yeah. We absolutely could justify a hundred plus million for Jude Bellingham, but that's not really the case, is it? No, no, it's not. And, you know, uh, my sort of doubts over Jude just come from when you, when you see what people who are close to city are saying that city believe they're in pole position to get him. And Real Madrid believe they're in pole position to get him, according to people connected to Real Madrid. Then you have to wonder, like, well, have they given their word to everybody? Are they playing everybody to try and get the best deal? And if if he does pick us, can we afford to do it? Because it's one thing Jude saying, yeah, I want to go to Liverpool. It's another thing Liverpool being able to match the financial power of City and Real Madrid's incredibly um, prevalent ability to just find money from all sorts of places. Like, I'm not convinced they don't just put the hand down the back of the couch and start grabbing cash out of there because <laughs> they always seem to have money, uh, despite the fact that they're hundreds of million in debt. So, you know, what happens if it comes down to... We do, let's say we don't get top four, but Jude says, I don't care. It's one year, we'll be back in it. I don't care. I want to go to Liverpool. And we say, right, well, we can pay 100 million. And what if City turn around and go, well, we'll pay 140 million? There's no way Dortmund will accept our offer. They'd rather keep him for the year and sell him again the following year. And yeah. if we, if we, if, if it's say, let's say we come in 15 million below City or Real. Well, one thing we might be able to do is say, well, look, we'll give you, we'll give you more up front. We'll give you, like we did this with Darwin. We offered less than United for Darwin, but we offered a lot more up front. Well, if we do that on Jude, can we then afford to do anything else in midfield? See, this is where I'm worried. Like, I, 
if we don't get top four and FSG are still the owners, do they just turn around to Jurgen and say, yeah, we know we promised, but that was based on you getting top four, which you haven't done. So instead of 150 or 160 million for the summer, you have 80 and that's it. You've 80 in sales. But for every sale we make, we have to replace that player. So there wouldn't be enough money there for Jude. And then we might we might end up in a situation where we miss out. For me, the ideal situation is actually Jude decides to stay at Dortmund one more year. Because like you said, it's not career suicide. They're in the, they'll be in the Champions League. They're a top club. It's a very good level of football. And we take that money and we buy Caicedo and Ugarte or Lavia. And then the following summer, when we're in a much stronger position with these two bedrocks in midfield, we say to Jude, right, now you come in and now we already have everything set for you to walk in and it just works. You play on the right as the more attacking one and Lavi and Caicedo will sit behind you and they'll just do all the defensive work and you go and play your game. You almost play it as a 10. Like that for me would be the perfect. Now we obviously don't live in a perfect world and I would be stunned if he does decide to stay, but it is a possibility. And it would, for me, it would actually be the ideal possibility if he was to say to Klopp or, and people now, look, I'm actually going to stay at Dortmund one more year. I think that's the best thing for my development. But next summer I will move. I think Dortmund are happy. I think Klopp would have to reassess and maybe he uses the money a bit better then. And then the following summer we could go and get him. But Whatever happens, we need to address our midfield in the summer and we need to address it with at least three, I would say four. And if Fabinho has to go five midfielders, I don't want us having to rely on, you know, the hope of Curtis Jones or the conversion of Harvey Elliott from a wide player into midfielder or Tyler Morton having to make a, a huge step up from the championship to the Premier League level. I don't want that. I want us to be able to go out and sort our problems like a, like a big club, like a serious club with serious ambition. Because I know money's not the answer to everything, but when you look around and you look at how Man City build, how not necessarily what Chelsea are doing, because that is absolutely obscene and borders on cheating with the eight-and-a-half-year contracts, which are a nonsense. Because you know within six months, they're going to re-sign those players on shorter contracts for bigger money. But they'll yeah. amortise it across the the eight and a half years or whatever. You look at how Arsenal have gone in the last few years and how much money they've spent. Since when, when Arteta took over, Arsenal were a mess and we were cruising to the Premier League title. And since then, they've spent about 250 to 300 million more than us all told, I think it's. I think it's. No, sorry. I think it's two hundred and about two hundred and ten million. But if you include the previous summer, the summer after we won the Champions League, it pushes beyond the three hundred million mark. Like that's why they're where they are now, and we, we are where we are now. We've been negligent, and I, I understand Klopp likes to reward people who do well for him. But Jurgen's loyalty is both his biggest attribute as a as a person. And his biggest flaw as a manager. You can't be loyal in this game. Not not, not now. There's a reason Alex Ferguson was able to stay at the top for so long. He, he didn't have loyalty. He had fear. And players understood that if they 
they dropped at all, they would be moved on or at least moved into a squad role where they played far less often. We're still rolling out Jordan Henderson, James Milner and Bobby Firmino years after they've stopped being useful to us. So I think it it has to be this summer because if it's not done this summer, we're not going to win another major honour under Klopp if it's not done this summer. It's not done properly because if you do it properly this summer, you can use next summer as that sort of re- rebuilding year where all the players are settling in and you can see what the future will hold. And maybe you make one or two tweaks and then you're good to go and launch an attack on everything again. But if we don't do it, like you're talking the summer of 24 before Klopp is able to properly address it. At that point, there's other issues that are going to crop up, like Thiago's at a contract, Andy Robertson will be 30 and whatever else comes along between now and then. So you, you are just, you're kicking the can down the road and all you're doing is making a, a bigger task for yourself, which is what we've done the last four years. We've always kicked the can down the road and now it's caught up to us. Now we're in yeah. this mess. Um, last thing I want to hit before we finish up, any signings that were made by Premier League clubs this January window that you looked at in envy? Now let's, you can touch on Chelsea, obviously, if there's a couple there, but if there's any other individual signings or, or the collective business that a club did, was there anyone that you looked at and thought, that's a really smart window? Oh, wow. Um, so I, I am like you. I am not an advocate of Chelsea's scorched earth approach to recruitment. I, I think and inevitably, I don't think that ends well. They either get a fine, they find out they haven't done it 100% legally, Half of those players don't end up working. And, you know, basically I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of that. I am, however, a fan of a few of the players that they got. I have long since been a uh, Christopher and Kunku advocate. I really wanted him last summer. I am not mad that we went the route of Darwin Nunez instead, but he was obviously a player that I was really, really keen on and a player who I thought was a natural midfielder. I thought if we had gone for him, I thought he would have been a midfielder for Liverpool. And it'll be interesting to see where he plays for Chelsea because I don't think he is an out-and-out striker. Um, Chelsea have also uh, gotten my uh, one of my favorite uh, talents from outside Europe's top five leagues. They got Datro Fofana, mm. the Ivory Coast winger. I think he's coming from... Uh, from Molde? Sweden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's come from Sweden. So he, he was a player I was, I was really, really keen on. Um, n- not a player that was ever linked to Liverpool in any fashion, but certainly one of my favorite sort of like lesser known talents. Um, I think Brighton have <laughs> been extremely proactive. They've gone and gotten Facundo Buonanote, the Ar- Argentinian midfielder, um, who people said we were looking at and then yeah. that, that, that didn't end up happening. Um, so I'm I'm sort of I'm jealous of a few of the players that Chelsea got, but not of their philosophy. And I'm fully jealous of Brighton's philosophy because they are forever taking sort of smarter risks out of uh, out of South America because it's, it's an approach that's worked for them. You know, they got they got Caicedo for a, for a pittance, and now he's going to be sold for you know upwards of 70, 80, maybe even more if the bidding war gets to that point. So I'm I'm jealous of uh of those moves um in a way in other other than that it's it's difficult to see 
where else I would be admirable of uh, of other teams because January is sort of inherently the the window of the desperate. Yeah. So I, I see a ton of other desperate moves happening. I think come the summer, there will be tons of moves that I'm actively jealous of. Um, but I, I just really want to, I wanted to give Brighton some, uh, some, some praise here because they have done extremely smart analytical work. I mean, the fact that Natoma was playing university level ball, uh, in, in, in East Asia just a year or two prior is just insane to me. So what, what a find that was. What a find, uh, Caicedo was. And you can only imagine that a guy like Bonanote is going to be worth five, six times what they paid for him in 12 months time. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think they've done very, very good business. I think they, they're probably the best run club in the league. They're certainly a model that all smaller clubs should be looking to follow. That it's not how much you spend. It's how you spend it. I mean, you mentioned Caicedo, Alexis. I think they paid around 10 million for him. Whenever he leaves, that'll be another 40, 50, 60 million pounds. Uh, Mark Cucurella, they sold him. They got 63 million off a 15 million pound investment. And they went and they bought Purvis Estupinen, who you could argue is a a better fit at Brighton. Mm -hmm. But it's not just how they operate in recruiting players. They lost their sporting director. They just replaced them. There was no hoo-ha. There was no... The machine never stopped. One out, one in. Four games, five games into the Premier League campaign. Big bully Chelsea come in, slap down money to buy their manager out of his contract. That could have been a season killer. Not for Brighton. They already knew who they wanted. So they took 20 million off Chelsea for Potter and his staff went and got Roberto De Zerbi and it looks like that's an upgrade. Certainly it's a more effective style of play for the players they have. And the thing is, when he walked in the door, the the players they had fit what he wanted. So they'd already had that identification of this is the, the category of player we have. This is the group we have. We need a manager whose style of football has synergy with that. So it wasn't like where you see at certain clubs where, you know, let's say, Everton, for example, where Lampard leaves and the two names that they have on their shortlist are Bielsa and Sean Dyche, both good managers, but completely different, with completely different demands of the players that they want to that they will, will manage. So Everton clearly had no idea what they were doing, whereas Brighton had one target. They probably had others, but I would guarantee every single one of them had similar principles to their style of play. And they went and got the right guy. I, I think I think they're just such a really well-run club. When you talk about desperation in the January window, a lot of that often happens at the bottom of the league. But I think there's two teams right down in the bottom three who've done very, very well in this January window. So one is Bournemouth. Um, they bring in Dango Uatara from Laurent for £20 million. Mm-hmm. Very, very talented uh, attacking player. They get Darren Randolph as an experienced Premier League goalkeeper to fill a need. They bring in Antoine Simonier, good player, not, I don't think, a huge ceiling, but an effective player who can play as a nine or off a nine. And then they go and they get Ilya Zabarni, which fills their biggest need, which is a right-footed centre-back, because they have Sinisi, who's good. They have Lloyd Kelly, who's good. But the right-footed centre-backs were all poor. This kid is 
is the real deal. I, I think this is one of the better deals anybody's done. And then they go and they bring in Hamid Traore. Now, it's a loan with an obligation to buy if they stay up. I think it's a very, very clever signing. And I think you have to give them credit for the ambition and the aggression they've showed. That's an £80 million, if they stay up, an £80 million decision they've made this window to go and buy those players. And they're putting it all on the line to stay in the division, as I think are Southampton. Now, I think Southampton have done really good business over the last few years. I think they've bought super talented players. Basunu, I love. Bella Kotchup, I love. He would absolutely be on my shortlist for Liverpool this summer. Yeah. Lavia, I adore. Seiko Mara, I really like. Edozi, I really like. Larius, I really like. This month, they go and they get Mislav Orzic, proven quantity in European football. Now, coming from a lesser league, so it's a step up, but he's an experienced operator who gives them something they didn't have. Carlos Alcaraz, I think, is going to be a tremendous addition for them. Yeah, yeah. James Bree, I'm not overly keen on. I think that think that's a manager just bringing in a player he knows because maybe the players in the dressing room aren't fully bought in on him. Yeah. Paul Onoachu, I'm not a huge fan, but he is an effective goal scorer. I think that's what they needed. They needed someone that could put the ball in the net. And then Suleimana. Now, these are risky signings. Alcaraz and uh, Suleimana are risky signings because they might not pop for six months, for 18 months. But I look at Southampton and I think, do you know what? If you go down, it's not the worst thing in the world because realistically, you can sell Ward-Prowse, Walker-Peters and one or two older players to keep the wolves from the door, to pay off any financial drop from coming from, from dropping out of the Premier League. Yeah, and you yeah. can roll into next season with Basuno and goal, Livermento right back, Larius left back, Bella Kotchup and Salisu as your centre-backs. Perhaps you go Alcaraz, Lavia and Diara, or Diallo rather, as your midfield three. And then Mara, Onachua and Suleimana as your front three. And you've still got the likes of Adozi and others who are there. That's a really, really promising young team that under the right manager will roll their way through the championship, get properly battle-hardened there, and come up into the Premier League again, a much better team. Now, obviously, there's the, the risk of someone comes in and pinches Lavi or Bella Kotchup or whatever if they have if they have closes. But if you can sell your more experienced, older players, then financially you won't need to sell those players. And they're young enough that you can probably sell them on. Give us one year in the championship and we'll be back up. And you'll be a much better player. And we'll be a much better team. And you're not going to have to go through that crap again. So yeah. I like teams that, that 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 take risks in the market. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, teams who you know, have a, have an eye on the the next year as well. And I I think you're spot on with your point on Southampton, because I, I don't think if, if, if you're up, if you're at the top of Southampton pulling the strings, you shouldn't see it as the end of the world. If you have to go down, you you could say maybe, you know, we, we've, we flirted with the chance of going down for four or five years now. Mm. So, you know, but, but if we go down, we have this team of, you know, young talent that we could really bed, in, in in the championship, and you know it's it's something that I think Watford are kind of doing right now. Yeah. You know they have they have a Jao Burnley. Pedro. 
Yeah, Burnley as well. Burnley have completely reinvented themselves. And how much and, better do they look? Like they that's the best looking Burnley team I've ever seen in terms of on the pitch performance. <laughs> front 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 footed pressing attacking football from Vincent Company is not is not what I expected from Burnley. No. Yeah, even tw- even twelve months ago. Uh, just a, just a quick shout. Uh, Jan Duran joins Aston Villa from Chicago Fire. I like that one. You know, yeah, I, I'm, I, I don't watch the MLS for anybody listening. You may, oh, this American guy, he probably watches the MLS. I don't watch the MLS. I have no idea what's happening in the MLS, but, uh, Duran is someone who has been exciting plenty of people who watch South American mm. talent. And it's, he's, uh, he's doing a, a path that's becoming more common for uh South American talent going and doing a few years in the MLS. Now I, I think a lot of that is because MLS teams, some of them, some of the richer ones are offering like 80 K uh, a week or something like that. Yeah. But uh, Jan Duran, I think is someone uh, really interesting and it's a, it's a cool project because it's worth noting, you know, ask the Villa uh, send Danny Ings on his way. Um, Danny Ings sort of just doing an, uh, never ending tour of mid table Premier League teams until he retires. I'm here for it. I'm happy for him. Um, the, the other move that I want to say is, is a departure, which I think is, uh, smart is Arsenal have loaned, uh, Sambi Lokonga to Crystal Palace. Palace. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Palace, you know, good at developing talent. Um, I think, look, I think Palace would have been a better club for Lokonga in general. He's someone yes. who I think is good, but I think is a bit out of his depth right now in a team pushing for, pushing for a, a title as yeah, well. He, he's not, he's not a, they need players who are more, their younger players have to be more polished. He's quite a raw talent, but I, I do. I really like that deal for both, for all parties, for him, for Arsenal, because they get development opportunity for him now. And perhaps he does really well and, and they can sell him at a profit to Crystal Palace. I really like the other midfielder Palace brought in as well. Ahamada from Stuttgart. I think that's a clever signing. And if they'd gotten a right back in, I think they would have absolutely have nailed the window. But again, Palace, just a club that are operating very, very cleverly. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you start to look up and down the Premier League, the one thing that really pops out is, is how many clever teams there are now. Like Arsenal, they're running fairly clever. City run clever. I think, Getting Dan Ashward in from Brighton, Newcastle are running clever. United are idiots, but that they've got enough <laughs> money to uh, Spurs. Paratici will never be for me, but Brighton are clever. Fulham, Fulham have learned lessons, very harsh lessons, but they've learned lessons. And I think right now they're offer operating at a very clever level. Same with Brentford. Bowley's an idiot. I mean, the guy is a clown. So that Chelsea, yeah. are, they're just a circus. But I mean, look, if 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 Enzo and Mudrick work then none of the rest of the January signings actually need to work out for them because they're no. the two big ticket <laughs> items. Yeah, um, not, not, not really. It, it's, uh, like I said, scorched earth. You know, if, yeah. if, the big one, if, if, uh, if most of your big ones hit and then one or two of the projects like uh, Andre Fofana, Santos or, or Dato Fofana. Yeah. yeah. God, there's so many. I, I, it's Who haven't they signed? Uh, my last honorary shout for good for them is uh Leeds bringing in Weston McKenney I like that one from Juventus. I do like that one. And you know, oh, you know, you know, listeners, please don't roll your eyes, you know, here comes the American guy with his American player propaganda, but uh <laughs> Weston McKenney I think is actually uh a really really good player who I thought looks great at the World Cup despite being maybe 60-70% fit. Mm. Um he obviously joins this growing American contingent at Leeds United led by Jesse Marsh, you know, they got 
Aronson, they have Adams, and now they have McKenney, and you could make a case those are three of the top four uh, American players currently. Um, so good, good for them. I, you know, what McKenney can bring is, I think, goals from midfield, which, which I think is, is really nice for them. Um, so yeah, really, really, they, they really need sp- to be, they need to be the Yunus Musa team in the summer. I, I need to see that American World Cup midfield in <laughs> yeah, Premier yeah. League action because, <laughs> because that midfield ran over the England midfield. Like, oh, ab- ran absolutely. over them and bullied absolutely. them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, if that, if that happens, Dave, I might just switch teams if, if I'm being qu- pretty quick. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I might him, just call it a day. Get Gio know. Reyna in. He's another mega talent if he can ever get his attitude right and his yeah. parents stop being, well, oh, you know, God. themselves. What um, a circus, man. I, I like the McKenney deal. I, li- I think Wolber's a decent addition. He's an upgrade on Liam Cooper. He wouldn't have been my choice, but he's a good addition. And I really like Jorginho Ruder. I think he's an outstanding young player. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I like what Leeds have done. Uh, you know, like Forrest getting Danilo, Wolves getting Zhao Gomes. These are the type of players we should be looking at to bring in and develop. They don't have to be starters straight away. But, you know, if, if we are aimed at Jude, then getting Danilo and Zhao Gomes in for a combined 37 million if one of them pops, it's a success because you'll still sell the other at about break-even price. So that's the type of thing I'd like to see us do a lot more of to supplement our squad. And I think if we can get our squad to a level where our first 11 is as close to bulletproof as possible, and then we've got, say, six or seven other high-end players that Klopp trusts, the likes of Jota, the likes of Gakpo, the likes of whoever you want to name, Costa Simicus, uh, Joel Matip when he's at his best. If if we can have an 18-man squad of that, then we could have five or six Danios or Alex Scott from Bristol or oh, Ronnie Edwards from Peterborough. You know, these are the type of players I'd love to see us go and get. I think Ronnie Edwards from Peterborough would be a really good addition as a right-back, not a centre-back. And Alex Scott, I think, is one we should definitely be keyed in on this summer because he can do anything you want him to do in midfield. He's the same age as Jude, so you'd have a long runway with him. You'd have a lot of options and how to develop him. Like there's there's so many ways and means. It doesn't ha- like when I say I want to take risks. It doesn't have to be that you go to South America and find somebody. You can find them in the Championship. You can find them in Scotland. You can find them wherever. Just find them. That's where our recruitment is letting us down at the minute. Now, whether that's because the recruitment team or because of Klopp, I don't know, but it's neither here nor there. We need to take more of those risks. But first thing we need to do is what we've discussed in this podcast is is get that midfield set. I think that's the the sort of the be-all and end-all. And people, please give Cody Gakbo a chance. Just, just, just settle down for a couple of months. Yeah. Let the lad find his feet. Let the team heal and see how it all looks when more of the pieces are in place. Because I have a feeling that Gakpo will look a lot better when he's got Diaz and Darwin playing with him than he does when he's got Harvey Elliott and, and a slow midfield. Gakpo, you know? Gakpo, Gakpo will look better when Liverpool create more than two big opportunities a match. Yes. I, yes. <laughs> fucking, like, fucking hell, come on. I mean, he, he, I mean, he, he made a big opportunity in, in the game against Brighton, you know, that Elliott kind of fluffed his lines with. Mm. But... Yeah, absolutely. You know, give the guys some time and make peace with the fact that you might have to wait till next season. I'm content to wait. I hope other people are too. Same. Right, Evan, this has been great. We've gone long, but I think it was well worthwhile. 
If you have anything you want to plug or let people know where they can find you on social media and and your work. Awesome. Yeah, this has been well worth my while. It's been a a great time. Therapeutic in ways, depressing in other ways, but always necessary. Um, You can find me on Twitter uh, at Soccer God, um, S-A-W-K-U-R-G-O-D. I'm also doing the draft game shows on GrizzCon TV. It's sort of some lighthearted fun to distract you from the woes of Liverpool Football Club. We got one coming up in these next few weeks, so stay tuned for that. I'm also co-host of Across the Pond on Born in Red. LFC and I do that with uh Avi Blue Chip LFC who uh mm. I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with. So come check me out on those things across the pond is going live uh tomorrow afternoon uh Pacific Standard Time. So see you there. Cool. Well, I'll be retweeting that as well. I want you to make sure though that you're you're not being too soft with Avi. You need to take a hard line with him and oh, yeah. keep him in check because otherwise he'll run away with himself and he'll get all excited about things. You need to keep keep him in line. And the same with Grizz. Anything you can find to just needle at Grizz and, yeah, you and know, get him get him a little bit upset and tell him tell him I said hello when you do. <laughs> I, I definitely will. And you know, Grizz definitely gets worked up during these draft game shows. You know, he's he's won the most drafts in the past, so he's very protective of his record. And with Abby, you know, he's like a runaway train. If he if he talks too much, he'll never stop. So I absolutely I absolutely have to keep him within the confines of the show. There you go. Just make sure you tell Grizz that, like, that I said they're all fixed, that you're only fixed to soothe his ego or something. Right. We'll leave it there, folks. Thank you as always for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.